A couple things before we really get going. Uh, We have a group of special people here today that I want to recognize. And behind the scenes in something like this, this, this doesn't just happen out of the blue. Speakers and keyboards and TVs and and all these other things and tables and chairs, all these things. There's always people behind the scenes working and allowing it to happen. And we have several churches, and I think the number is six, but it may be seven, uh, churches that are helping us financially here in the, in the baby stages of our congregation, getting us off the ground, helping us uh, move forward as the congregation grows and the offerings increase. This church has donated, I think for three years, a commitment Uh, to give to to this congregation. And so we have, I want to say, five different families or six, or you feel like eight, um, different families from a church in Waco, Texas. Have you heard of that city? (laughs) Actually, China Spring, just north of Waco, uh, called the Journey Church. Would you thank them for being here today? They've been a blessing. They've been a blessing without, you know, many of these people you'll never meet, but I'm just so glad that you guys, I think they got up at six o'clock this morning. No, they got up probably about five and they took off from Waco at about six and they made it here and they got another three hour drive on the way back. And so if they fall asleep during my sermon, it'll be okay. I want you guys to drive, excuse me, safely on the way back. They actually invited the Songers and the Bolts to go to Journey, I want to say October, but I could be off a month one way or the other. And Landon was gracious enough to give me his pulpit, even though there wasn't a pulpit up there, so I went pulpitless that particular Sunday. Do you remember Hudson? My my son went up there for one of the services. He circled me the whole time. So uh, Hudson was up here while I was preaching. He was doing most of the preaching. He got most of the attention. And uh, the Songers did a good job playing in the music. They called him Doug Spooner rather than Doug Songer, and I love that. And so we still talk about it to this day. Good church, uh, friendly church. It was a good weekend for us. It was a refreshing weekend. Landon's been an encouragement to me. Been on the phone with him several times. And uh, as good of a church as it was, I remember that weekend most of all because of the Mexican restaurant afterwards. It's just, it's just the way it is. It was some good old Mexican food afterwards and chips and salsa. And that's what I remember most about China Springs. But you guys, I love you too, okay? Glad that you're here. And afterwards, if you get a chance to shake their hands and thank them for coming, uh, I hope you get an opportunity to do that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 11. You're going to like this today. You're going to like this. This is going to be a blessing. I have been looking forward to this all week. Sometimes I just walk into church. This morning I didn't walk in. I floated into church. I couldn't wait to give you this word of encouragement from this particular passage of scripture, which has always intrigued me. Matthew 11 has always intrigued me, but let me, let me start with this. I guess it rains a lot in Seattle. Anybody been to Seattle? I have not. I'd love to go. I guess it rains a lot there. And also along with that, out of the blue, banks of clouds just appear, mist and fog out of nowhere. And it was one of those days when all, all of a sudden this fog appeared over Seattle and there were two guys in a helicopter flying and they flew right into, into the cloud and they couldn't see anything. And their instruments went out and they're trying to get over it, but they couldn't get over it. It's too high. They tried to go under it. It was too low. They couldn't get under it. And they were, they lost their bearings just to be honest. And it got scary. I imagine it would. When all of a sudden the pilot 
saw what he thought was a building in front of him, and, and sure enough, it was. And so he started to fly around the building, circling the building, just because he, he thought, well, maybe if I can figure out which building this is, I can figure out where I am. But in their panic, they wrote a sign and held, held the sign out there, out the helicopter window, asking in panic, where are we? Hoping somebody in the building out the window would see the sign. And sure enough, after enough passes, some people inside the building saw the sign, where are we? And so they wrote back, made their own poster. They wrote back, you are in a helicopter. (laughs) But with that, with that, the pilot immediately looked at his map and he flew straight to the airport. They landed the plane. And the co-pilot was so impressed. He says, how did you know where you were? with just the words, uh, you're in a helicopter. That didn't tell you anything. How, how did you know? He said, the moment they said that, I knew that must be the Microsoft building because what they told me was technically accurate but completely useless. Okay. So that's what preaching does sometimes. Some sermons are technically correct but practically useless. And my prayer is that this would be correct. We would correctly divide the word of truth, but it would also be practically useful for all of us in here today. So we're gonna go through the passage. I'm gonna read the whole thing. Verses one through 11 of Matthew chapter 11. I'm gonna explain the passage a little bit and then give you three encouraging points. I usually don't have three correct points, but we have another preacher in here today, and I want him to be impressed. So I could write a three-point sermon, Landon. You don't preach three-point sermons either. Okay. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John, he's speaking to John the Baptist here, what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, verse 7. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. We often teach our kids, and and you probably learned this growing up, there are consequences to disobedience. Did your parents teach you that? The Bible teaches that too. There are consequences to disobedience. By the way, Adam and Eve, from the beginning in Genesis, it taught us if you disobey, there's going to be consequences. And all of the women in here today say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We felt the consequences. There are consequences to disobedience. You reap what you sow. Your sin will find you out. There's a lot of verses that go along with that. But what we don't teach kids 
or what we didn't catch whenever we were a kid. Not only are there consequences to disobedience. Now listen, there are consequences to obedience. You ever thought of that? Look at John the Baptist. What kind of guy is he? The greatest man. And where is he? In prison. Well, is that how it's supposed to go? Not only are there consequences to disobedience, I'm just telling you, there's consequences to obedience. And a little while later after this passage, John the Baptist has his head put on a platter because it was put on the chopping block and presented to the queen. The apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of our New Testament, he spent, he could have started a real estate business in local prisons. It seemed like every town he went to, he was getting beat up or thrown in prison or both. There are consequences to disobedience, but there's also consequences to obedience. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Whoa. That's what you get for living a godly life in Christ Jesus? And John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, he asks, Go back and ask Jesus, is he the one? Was he doubting? I hear this talked about a lot, that he was doubting his faith. Maybe, but I don't think so. And I could be wrong, but, but this is what I think was actually happening. He was just wanting to be sure. Toward the end of his life, he was just wanting to be sure. I don't think he was doubting. I think he was frustrated. I think he was just frustrated. Do you know how frustration comes? Here's how frustration comes. When you have an expectation and your experience doesn't meet your expectation. Your expectation is up here, but your experience is down here. Guess what fills that gap? Frustration. I thought it was going to be like this, but instead I experienced this. And so what's in between is frustration. You ever been frustrated at your job? Uh-oh. You took a job and you, I thought it was going to be, but it ended up being and what fills the gap is, fr- the larger the gap, the larger the frustration, by the way. And John the Baptist is sitting there saying, Jesus, I have followed you. I have deferred to you. I have tried to do what God has called me to do. And I thought that it would, but it's, now I'm frustrated. And I think those words are, are you really the one? I, I think he knew he was the one. I think he was just frustrated. Because answer me this, did John obey his calling? Did he prepare the way of the Lord? He did. Did he say, Jesus must increase, I must decrease? He did. Did he push people to follow Jesus rather than him? A lot of his disciples ended up following Jesus rather than him. Did he do that? He did. But what he was watching was Jesus go on this ministry tour and what did it say? It said the, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing, lepers were being cleansed. All these things were happening, and Jesus was becoming a star. And where's John during this ministry tour up in Galilee? Where is he? Uh, he's in prison. I think John felt cropped out. I think most Christians know God has done great things. He is doing great things. He will do great things. It's just a lot of Christians feel cropped out of the picture. And I think John thought, where do I get in on this? Why don't I get to be a part of this ministry tour? And he got frustrated. Now, here's another way that the devil works and adds some frustration to you. Satan cannot take away your calling. 
but he can take away the passion for your calling. And he works hard at it. If you have taken a step toward Jesus Christ lately, if you have said yes to some kind of ministry, and it doesn't mean paid ministry, it means any kind of ministry. If you have said yes to that, Satan is not going to take away your calling, but he will try real hard to take away the passion for your calling. And he can do that through discouragement and frustration. And he can get in there. Even though Jesus is alive, do you agree that Satan is alive as well? Do you agree with that? I can tell you he is because I've done business with him. And I'm not proud of that. And so I don't think this was so much as a doubt as it was as simply a frustration. And Satan, yeah, I'm not going to take away your calling, John. But if I can take away your passion and your zeal and your excitement for what God is doing or for what God is doing through your son Jesus, I'll do anything I can to take that away. Are you the one? The title of this message is, It's Not What You Think. Turn to the person next to you and say, It's Not What You Think. It's Not What You Think. All right. I want to give you three words of encouragement today. And uh, encouragement goes a lot of, a long ways, doesn't it? I try to forget critical words, and I try to remember encouraging words. I have a poor memory, but I have an amazing memory when somebody gives me a compliment. (laughs) I'm just that vain. Actually, let me share with you how vain I am. I'm going to give you two compliments that were given to me, and you're going to think I'm bragging, and I am. You're going to think correctly. But I want to share them with you, and these are two compliments you wouldn't think I would remember, but I remember, and they both came from my wife. Okay, When she says something good to me, I store it in there, and I use it later on. The first one is this. I'm not kidding you. She said this. And I still, I was probably a couple years ago. And it just came out of the blue. That's what was best about it. I don't even think I did anything because I usually don't do anything. She looked at me and said, you're the greatest man I've ever met. Oh, oh. <clears throat> thank you. Anybody else hear that? Nobody else didn't hear? You know, <laughs> I think I really I wish there was some, I have a list of people in my back pocket I wish could have heard that right there. <laughs> the, the person who knows me best on this planet said, you're the greatest man I've ever met. Wow. Just so you know, I stored that in my memory bank and I'm not going to forget it and I am using it about every week. Whenever she gets mad at me, just remember, Chelsea, what you said. Who am I? <laughs> you were looking at the greatest. No, anyway. All right. Encouragement has a way of sticking with you, doesn't it? Somebody says something nice to you, man, I'm going to hold on to that. The second one, it's not as encouraging, but I still remember it because there's only two comments. So that's all I can give you here in this part of the sermon. I was speaking to a group of high schoolers and uh, I realized as I was speaking, yeah, they were engaged and and, and they would laugh at my Seattle type jokes. But I I realized, you know what? I, I left there and I realized I'm not very cool. I'm not hip. Just the way they were looking at me, I realized I'm not, I'm not that preacher. Some preachers can go up there and wear their wives' shirts and, they, some, and tight jeans and pull it off. It's the weirdest, weirdest thing I've ever seen lately. So glad you're <laughs> Is that not true? <clears throat> like, what are you wearing? <laughs> you're a preacher. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not even close to my sermon notes, am I? <clears throat> There's some frustration coming out. And I realized I'm not that cool preacher. And, and you've met those guys. I'm like, I'm not him. And I, I've been envious before, uh, maybe. But I went home and I asked Chelsea. I said, 
am I cool? Don't ever ask your wife that question. <laughs> and she looked at me without hesitation. She said, no, <laughs> you're not, but you're steady. Oh, well, I'm not cool, but I am steady. I'll take that. I'll take steady. Steady's better than, you know, I'll take steady. And I took it as a compliment. Maybe I shouldn't have been because there was a dig and then a compliment. But I remember it. All, all I'm trying to tell you is encouragement sticks with you, doesn't it? Say a kind word to somebody today, okay? Can somebody say amen? Say a kind word. You should never come to church and leave discouraged. Whenever you're around God's people, it should be an encouraging, encouraging experience. But you get frustrated when the expectations here, the experience is here. Think about uh, if you've had kids, think about, okay, so I used to dream about having kids before I had kids. I would dream about having kids. <laughs> There's some truth in there too, that anyway. And I would think about, man, I'm going to have a boy that goes to school and they're going to ask him to write a paper and what's he going to write on? My dad is my hero. He's the strongest man in the world. He's the greatest man in the universe. Nah, Chelsea already said that. And I'm going to have this boy that always obeys and always just says, yes, sir, yes, daddy, and all my kids are going to do that. I'm going to have a little girl who every time she sees me, she runs up and gives me a hug. And then we had kids. And the dirty diapers and the runny noses and the sleepless nights and the whining and the crying and then the whining and the crying and the disciplining and then the whining and the crying and the disciplining. And there is a moment in the early years that you do think, is this what it is? Because I, I had something else in mind. <laughs> I had something else in mind whenever I was dreaming, whenever I was, had my expectations up here. And some of you out in the crowd, you have teenagers and you're, you're telling me it gets worse, buddy. <laughs> it gets worse. But that's how Satan can frustrate you. So Jesus is out doing his ministry. He's rocking it from town to town. He is being cool. He heals Peter's mother-in-law on this tour. And some scholars believe that's why Jesus actually denied him three times. And when John asks, are you the one? Catch this. Here's the sermon. Jesus did not rebuke him. Come on, John, you know I'm the one. He didn't pull out his Bible and hit him on the head with it. He didn't point his finger. Jesus encouraged him. He didn't yell at him. He wasn't the coach in the locker room when you're down 20 points. He encouraged him. I'm amazed by that. Look back at verse 7. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in the clothes? Uh, in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. More than a, John is more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. This guy was prophesied about. Who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, catch this statement. Among those born of women, which encompasses most of us in this room here today, Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. I bet that encouraged John, don't you think? Those were some words that stuck with him. Or did it? 
I actually, as I reread the passage, I don't think it got to John. I don't think he ever heard it. I'm not sure that message got to John. Why do I think that? Because I skipped a line in verse 7. Here's how verse 7 starts. Right before the long compliment, Jesus, or it's written, Matthew records, as John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to who? The crowd. About John. So he gave the disciples the message and they're leaving and then he turns around and he goes to the crowd and starts talking behind John's back. But when Jesus talks behind your back, it's good stuff. Did you know that? Hmm. You ever wonder? I wonder what Jesus really thinks of me. Better than you think. Let me give you three words of encouragement today. Or not, not three words, three statements of encouragement. These are three things I think Jesus says behind your back. Number one, you're doing better than you think you are. Isn't that good to hear? You're doing better than you think you are. And that's, you need to hear that today. Because if you're like me, I know my sins, I know my struggles, I know my record, I, I know my mistakes. And uh, I've, I've heard preaching that I think it's designed to make you feel worse. Have you ever heard that kind of preaching? If I can get them to leave here today with their heads hang, oh, I did my job. Yeah. No. I think Jesus, if you heard Jesus talking about you today, I think he would say, you're doing better than you think you are. Sometimes preachers say dumb stuff. Amen, Landon? Never. Okay, well... One guy doesn't say dumb things. There's dumb dichotomy, what I call dumb dichotomy. And, and we try to separate truths. Some things should be separated. Flesh and spirit, separated. Lucifer and Jesus, separated. Separate those. But grace and truth should not be separated. Grace and truth should be together, amen? Jesus and love should be together, amen? They're not meant to be separated. But here's one that I've heard that I've seen separated that shouldn't be. You don't need to encourage anyone. Just exalt Jesus. Well, that's dumb dichotomy. Why not do both? Exalt Jesus and encourage each other. When John gave his doubting comments, Jesus did not point a finger at him. What did Jesus tell John? Jesus told the disciples to go back to John and tell him about the activity of Jesus, not the activity of John. He didn't go back and encourage John. Hey, John, you're doing good. Look at what you've done. You gave some amazing statements. I just said. He didn't encourage John by talking about John. He encouraged John by talking about the activity of Jesus. You say, why did he do that? Why did he not just pump up John? Because if our faith is based on our activity, that is shakable ground. If our faith is based on the activity of Christ, that is forever sure. So I don't want to build a faith and a confidence and an encouragement. Nathan, you're a good preacher or, or, or you're a bad preacher or, or you started this church or you didn't start this church or, or, or you're a good husband or you're a bad husband. I don't, I don't want to f- trust me. I don't want my faith based on my activity because I know my activity better than you know my activity and it's not as good as you think. But if my faith is based on the activity of Christ, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can someone say amen? And I, I just find that interesting. Go back and tell John about all the works that is happening. 
And then he turns around and talks about John to the crowd in a very positive way. How many like sports? Anybody sports fans? Okay, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. There are some things I can't stand about sports. One of them is that's just recently come up. It has just taken over Sunday mornings. And so what do you think a preacher thinks of that? <laughs> All those travel, t- and honestly, if I wasn't a minister, I would still think it because it is teaching kids that something is more important than God. You heard it here. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that stuff. Nothing should go on top of the shelf on top of God. The other thing is, have you ever been to a Little League game and parents not act like adults? It's seven-year-old baseball. Do you see yourself? Do you hear yourself yelling? You're yelling at the umpires. I've seen good men and good women. And I've (laughs) had to readjust my perspective of who they are after seeing them at a ball game. If you know what I'm talking, I've seen people thrown out of ball. Has anybody been thrown out of a game? Just curious. Be honest, you're in church. Thank you, J.J. Jones. All right. <laughs> really? It's, it's, what is it, a KU game? Was that the deal? Okay. High school game. I, I don't like that. I don't like that. You're doing worse than you think you are. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But there is something, <laughs> there is something in recent years that I really do like. The replay booth. Have you noticed this has come up in sports? The words, upon further review. And what we have discovered whenever a, a coach disagrees with a call, they can signal to the referee or the umpire and say, I want that checked on the replay. And they somehow signal it up to the heavens. And there's some man playing God in that game. And they are determining whether or not that call was called correctly. And most of the time, by the way, just so you know, we think referees are doing a bad job, but what have we discovered during the replays? We've discovered most of the time they're right. And we get the words back upon further review, the play, uh, the call on the field stands. But sometimes the word comes back upon further review, the call on the field is overturned. Players safe at first base. And I think, as the world would like to tell you that you're doing bad, and it's always in your ear, isn't it? There's a lot of discouragers out there, and they're whispering in your ear, you're doing bad, you're doing worse than you think. I think when we get to heaven, there's going to be, upon further review, you were doing better than you think you were. I think Jesus is going to say that. And he's going to say, I saw what nobody else saw. I saw the gift. I saw the word of encouragement. I saw the sacrifice. I saw what you did. I saw what you said. Nobody else saw it. I saw the tears. I saw the discouragement. I saw what Satan was doing. Trust me, I know what he was doing to you. I know the struggles. I've been there. I've done that. Just so you know, upon further review, the call on the field is overturned. You did better than you think you did. Right there. I can't wait to hear those words. This is a tough world. We know less about each other than we think. When Chelsea said, you're the greatest man I've ever met, I didn't tell her the truth. I didn't correct her, but I should have probably. The widow's might, Luke 21, Jesus is pointing out some rich people who were giving a lot in the offering plate and people were amazed, they're impressed. And then comes along a widow and she gives away two 
mites. It's like two pennies. It's like when the offering baskets are passed at the end, you put two pennies in. And everybody's impressed with the rich offering. Nobody's talking about the widow's mites, two mites. But who does Jesus commend? And I think he wanted to come up to her and say, hey, well, actually what he did say is they gave out of their wealth. She gave out of her poverty. She did better than she thinks she did. And when she met Jesus in heaven someday, upon further review, you're doing better than you think you are. So before we get critical of others, let's just remember we walk by faith and not by sight, which means we only see the surface. We don't see what's going on underneath. Man sees the outside. God sees the heart. Maybe that's why when he encountered the woman at the well and everybody's critical of her, she's been divorced five times. She's living with the sixth man. He wasn't critical because only Jesus knew her story. She knew why the divorces happened. She knew why there was a struggle. She knew, Jesus knew all the background and he didn't point his finger. He put his arm around her. Maybe that's why when Jesus encounters the woman caught in adultery, it wasn't the end of the world to Jesus. It was just the end of the world to everybody else because they only saw the surface. Jesus saw what really happened. Really the Pharisees set her up maybe. Maybe this happened, maybe that happened. Jesus didn't point his finger. He put his arm around her. Number two, you're doing better than you think you are. Number two, you matter more than you think you do. You matter more than you think you do. And it's a lot less about you than you think it is (laughs) before you get cocky. It's a lot less about you than you think it is. You know, I could brag on my parents every, every message, but let me brag on them in this regard. Let me point out, uh, both of them are very positive people. Let me point out my dad's statement. If you run into my dad again, if he ever travels back down from Illinois and, and, and you ask him how he's doing, do you know how he's going to respond every single time? So good you wouldn't believe it. So good you wouldn't believe it, Nathan. Well, that's a good answer, or it's something along those lines. So good you wouldn't believe it. If you call him today, if I give you his number and call him, how you doing, Les Bolt? So good you wouldn't believe it. Well, I know my dad, and I know some of the things he's gone through. And there have been times when I ask him, Dad, how you doing? And he says, so good you wouldn't believe it. And I say, ah, you're lying, because I wouldn't believe it. I know what you're going through right now. I, I know what's happening. And I used to think, my dad lies a lot. Or maybe, maybe he wasn't lying. Maybe his measuring stick is not based like everyone else's measuring stick. Maybe his measuring stick is not based on the facts because if he just looks at the facts and the circumstances of his life, he's not doing very good. But if his measuring stick is his faith and the activity of Christ, then he's doing better than you would ever believe. And his faith has been shown to be stronger in the midst of the valley when the facts weren't good, so good you wouldn't believe it. And by the way, if you ever wonder, am I really in the faith? Am I really a Christian? Am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? You find out whenever you're in the valley, not when you're on the mountaintop. Do you still have the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Is, Satan can't take that away. So if you're still loving and still patient, uh-oh, when times are bad, your faith is real. I want to teach you something. Let's put this on the screen, Harmony. You want to know how valued you are, the measure of your value. 
is seen from the measure of someone's sacrifice. That's how much you matter to somebody, isn't it? How valuable are you to the person sitting next to you by the measure in which they sacrifice? Hope that makes sense. So when I see somebody lay it all down for me, I sense that I am valued. Where do we see that the most, church? Let's make a beeline to the cross. Are you valued? Look at the sacrifice. So when we take communion, it's not just that we remember the sacrifice. We get to be encouraged and remember that I am valued. Look at what he gave up for me. You matter more than you think you do. Why did, I've always asked this question. Why do lost people, lonely people, struggling people, ousted people, why did they gravitate toward Jesus in the Bible? I think because they felt valued. Jesus made them feel valued. You're doing better than you think you are. You matter more than you think you do. And number three, there's more in store for you than you think there is. John's life didn't have much more to it. Death was knocking. It was close by. He was in a dark prison. What John did not know was that he was about to see Jesus face to face. He was. A preacher friend of mine in South Carolina shares this story. As he was on a mission trip to Australia, you'll like this, by the way. He was FaceTiming his kids at home. But his little boys couldn't figure out why is it daytime where dad is, he's in Australia, and nighttime here in the States or, or, or where they are. And so his dad tried to explain the international dateline laws and he couldn't get it through their little boys' mental capacity, as you can imagine. And so this is what the dad in Australia said, son to a seven-year-old boy. Son, where I am, it is tomorrow. Star Wars Jedi, I fell in. Whoa. (laughs) Where I am, it is tomorrow. And his boy said, Dad, can you tell me what happens tomorrow? (laughs) And so his dad starts making stuff up and says, Tomorrow you're going to be very obedient to your mommy. Tomorrow you're going to go to bed on time. Tomorrow you're going to finish your plate at dinner time. And he just started making up all this stuff. And I thought about that statement. Can you tell me what happens tomorrow? You know what? Whenever you read the word of God, you know what this book tells you? It tells you what happens tomorrow. It's better than you think it is. You have more in store for you than you think you do. Read Revelation sometime. It's good. It's encouraging. What does 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says? It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. If you love Jesus today, and by the way, if you're here, there's a hundred different places you could be today. Amen. Can somebody just say amen? Houston, I'm about Waco, China Spring. Tipping cows? I don't know what you guys got, but I'm kidding. We just did a month-long rodeo, so what are we? There's a hundred different places you could be today. Hey, you got more in store for you than you think you do. It's going to be better than you think. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Tomorrow is better. The Apostle Paul says, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Tomorrow is better. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Tomorrow is better. John, church, 
You're doing better than you think you are. You matter more than you think you do. You have more in store for you than you will ever know. Let's pray.